Greetings, friendlies. Welcome to Dharma PhD, conversations about the science, philosophy, and culture of mindfulness and secular Buddhism. I'm your host, Shannon M. Whitaker, joined once again by my fabulous co-host, Jeff Street. Welcome, Jeff. Hello. It's been a while. Has been a while. Our last episode was 13 November. Really? Yeah. Okay. So much has happened. December? Yeah, a month and a half or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You... We're talking in the last episode about how you were thinking about accepting a new position. And indeed I have. Big news listeners, <laughs> the podcast will not be affected at all. <laughs> but And your your new job is not in the Dharma, so you will still be the layperson and I will still be the amateurish professional. Exactly. Okay. Casting as before. Excellent. What have you been up to since we spoke last on the podcast? Oh, we've had some big stuff in Dharma PhD, even though the podcast has been quiet the bigger project, the independent PhD project is going along very well. The other podcast, Buddha Bites, hit 5,000 downloads. Congratulations. Very excited about yeah. that. Yeah. And then I promptly ended season one. <laughs> I ended on a high note. I ended on a high note. That was really gratifying that people were interested in it. I was invited to become a forum manager for a Dharma community group. So that's been challenging, okay. but that's a big role. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how big the community is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see if the growth numbers are anything like you've seen over on Buddha Bites. Yeah, it not might yet. Be a really big role. Not yet, but that's okay. It's a great opportunity to work with this organization I've spoken about, Bodhi College, whom I really admire and am thrilled to be doing anything with them at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to talk about on the podcast today? You won't be surprised to learn. We'll be talking about the fourth in a series of six talks by John Peacock. The series is titled Buddhism Before the Theravada. I thought, since it's been a while, that we might recap. We've landed on yeah, a few yeah, yeah. themes. Let's do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, do a quick rundown before we start. Yeah. So, we had three themes. The first is that Gotama was not creating a religion, but rather a philosophy of human flourishing. Number two, Gotama was a social critic. His teachings were deeply engaged with his culture, and we should be deeply engaged with our culture. Mm -hmm. And three, Gotama's teachings were grounded in ethics. They were not metaphysical, but he was very interested in the practice of everydayness. Okay. Anything else that you think worth mentioning? No, those seem like the overarching themes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So in this talk, John Peacock introduces a concept in Pali, the term is paticca samupada. Mm -hmm. Paticca, paticca samupada. Good work. Thank you. Strong accent work. Oh, man. A standard translation of this is dependent origination. And how do you feel, Shannon, about the standard translation? <laughs> I, I think it's fine. What? I <laughs> is this Shannon and Whitaker that I'm speaking with? Anyway, we're going to put dependent origination aside for now. Listeners, we will do an entire podcast dedicated to dependent origination, but it's a 12-part list. Oh, man. So I know. Many, so it's like lists within lists within lists. It list. is lists within, yes. Were they it's selling true. bullet points? <laughs> it was an oral tradition. Gather around, you followers. I have today for you another list. <laughs> Sharpen your, your um, cuneiform reeds and prepare your clay tablets. They weren't writing anything down. They well, sharpen ears. your minds and your ears. <laughs> So anyway, today we're only going to talk about the first two parts of the 12-part list. 
The reason these first two parts are important is they're considered to be the backdrop on which the rest of human experience is playing out. It's a canvas. Yeah. And those two parts, the backdrop, are, first of all, that we misunderstand how our minds work. And second of all, we are bundles of habits. I understand the second one. I don't think I understand the first one. Mm. Yeah, you misunderstand. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I understand... Like I'm, I'm not sitting here feeling like I'm misunderstanding how my right. mind works. Yeah. I do understand better once you start speaking. I'll say that, but I, I don't feel like I'm misunderstanding. Exactly. Because I do feel like I'm a bundle of habits. Okay. So let's say the misunderstanding part, if you go to Wikipedia and look up cognitive biases. Oh, it's a big list. It's like a hundred and something, yeah. right? Of course we don't feel like that. That would be weird if we felt as confused as we are. Yeah. <laughs> as misunderstood. Because we'd just be busy doing that. Yeah. In the same way that when we look at a sensory stimulus, let's say I look at an apple, the experience I have is not my optic nerve has been excited. Yeah. What I see is I see an object in apple. I see an object. And we have started to understand that process by being able to do things like repair optic nerves of people that have been damaged since birth. And so now we understand mm -hmm. when someone has had an optic nerve that's been damaged since birth, they've been blind since birth, and the optic nerve is repaired, they don't open their eyes and say, apples, doctors, clocks on the wall. They, they go, ah. Yeah, they close their eyes right away because there's this incredible sensory stimulus and they have no idea how to parse it. And since they're an adult, they can communicate what that process is like. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That would really be fascinating to sit next to someone who's opening their eyes for the first time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That we misunderstand because we've got these cognitive biases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thing I'd like to do in this podcast is talk about those two parts, the misunderstanding part and the habit part. Let's go. All right. So the poly word. Here we go. For this for first part. Yeah. I sure am. So the Pali word for this misunderstanding is avidja. Okay. And it's often translated as delusion or Ooh. ignorance, mm -hmm. but those feel pretty pejorative to me. Peacock says he prefers the word confusion, but I still think saying I'm confused because like you said, my sense is not that I'm confused. Sometimes the way Akinchino talks about it is he says, it's like there's underwater reefs. Ooh. And you're sailing your boat along and everything's fine. And all of a sudden you hit one. Right. And so like, you don't know you're confused until something weird happens. And it snags you from below. Yeah. Yeah. Would the term biases be appropriate as you were just using it a moment ago? Absolutely. Yeah. These cognitive biases are part of it. It's like that great quote of Dan's that we talked about the other day. We were talking about Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. and Dan had said we're trying to solve the upper levels of the hierarchy with a brain that evolved to solve the lower levels of the hierarchy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that phrase. And we, we don't realize be our brains didn't evolve to make us happy. So our brains will tell us to do stuff like stay in bed another hour <laughs> or have another cupcake, yeah, yeah, yeah. which ultimately may not lead to our long-term happiness. And it's okay to use a tool for something other than what it was designed for. You can use a hammer for almost anything. Yeah, or the one I came up with was, because I'm old, I came up with, you can use a wire coat hanger to break into a car. Oh, yeah. That's another <laughs> good one. Duct tape as well. But Microsoft it's helpful. Excel. But it's... 
But it's helpful to know that's not what it was designed for. So it's not just biases, like lists of biases. Judson Brewer in his book, The Craving Mind, equates this avijja with subjective bias. But my sense is that it's bigger than that. One obvious example, I think, is that we equate pleasure with happiness or fulfillment, and we equate pain with something that is harmful or a punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and we do that because we evolved in an environment where those two things were very, very closely linked. Sure. If one something leads was, to survival and one doesn't. Exactly. But now we are, you might even say, mal-evolved for the environment that we're in. And so pleasure, simple carbohydrates, being as lazy as possible oh. is no longer uh, as fulfilling as it might once have been. Well, and it has adverse effects on your, your survival. Yes. Yeah. Your lifespan. Right. Yeah. And your happiness and the happiness of those around you. Whereas things like suffering, exercise, and uh, yeah. things like this that can be... Learning in public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is mm-hmm. very uncomfortable sometimes. It can be interpreted as a risk of one's social status. Yeah, absolutely. I came up with a couple of examples of talking about misunderstanding. Would that be helpful to talk about? Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I would Yeah, I would appreciate some like... Examples. Concrete examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We've talked theoretically, but here's some examples. One is that I sometimes will beat myself up because I'm think I'm being lazy. Mm. Oh, I don't have enough willpower. And in the first place, beating oneself up is not a very good habit change technique. <laughs> it's, not, it's not effective. <laughs> it's not particularly effective. I preserve pretty persistent about that as well. And that is the missing. We think if I'm just, if I just beat myself up harder, just a sufficient amount of criticism will do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a perfect example of misunderstanding how our brains work. But also what we don't understand is that our brains and our bodies evolved in an environment of scarcity and danger. Mm-hmm. And so our bodies and brains are constantly trying to conserve as much energy as possible. And by as much as possible, I don't mean like I'm trying to think of a mundane thing to say. I don't mean like, oh, well, after I do the dishes, I'll rest. You mean as much as possible. I mean, there is not a tiger chasing me right now. I am sitting on the couch. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Because we evolved in a place where tigers chasing you was the problem. Or lions. Other things that want to eat a delicious person. Exactly. Polar bears. So our brains and bodies are not broken. We are not lazy. We are actually optimally functioning for the wrong environment. And when we realize that we can stop beating ourselves up and we can bring compassion and kindness and we can say like, oh, you poor brain. Oh, oh, you're a little lost. You're a little lost. World changed, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Let's get up off the couch. Let Let me help you. Yeah, we can, we can set up. Now I'm getting into fixing it. But the misunderstanding is that we do these things that aren't skillful and we don't understand why they're not skillful. Why they're not working. And why they're not maybe, working. Maybe yeah. we don't understand they're not skillful. We just, we have conventional wisdom. It's common sense that yeah. you should. Beat yourself up. Whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's also common. But then when you say it, everybody's like, yeah, it totally doesn't work. Then why do we keep doing it? You know? <laughs> it's definitely common. <laughs> yeah. Another example, I might have this experience of someone offering me some advice and I have this unpleasant hedonic tone which we haven't talked about yet, but I'll have this, this momentary unpleasant hedonic tone. Uh, yeah. The, uh, uh. No. Right. And the unpleasant hedonic tone, the, uh, is 
actually because my brain doesn't want to do any work. It's trying Mm -hmm. to conserve energy. It doesn't want to think about this new idea. My brain thinks there's unpleasant hedonic tone. This is a bad idea. And then I'll be like, no, your idea is bad. I don't want this idea. And then later when that has kind of soothed a little bit and there's no longer unpleasant hedonic tone and I'm thinking about the idea, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I really should reorient my desk to face this other window. The lighting is better and it would be nicer. And so my brain gets this unpleasant hedonic tone, which is actually about quote unquote laziness. No new ideas, no new thinking. I can't think more right now because I'm trying to conserve energy. So the brain says like, no. Sometimes I have a similar experience, but I I think about it as an attack, Mm -hmm. which also figures into survival. If someone is telling you why you're doing it wrong. Yeah then that might be an attack to be defended against. Maybe you haven't asked for this advice. I haven't, maybe I haven't asked for, maybe, yeah, my brain isn't, isn't on that path right now. And so a new piece of advice coming in when I'm not ready for it is there's just no. And then the way that I interpret that is not, oh, my brain is trying to conserve energy. The way I interpret that is I have an unpleasant feeling. This must be a bad idea or this must be an attack. An attack. Yeah. No, go away. No, go. Yeah, exactly. And then later when I'm working on that problem or when I'm daydreaming and the idea comes, I was like, oh, actually that's a, that's a fine idea. You can evaluate it in a, on its own merits. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. In different light. And the reason that we have that response again, is because we misunderstand what's happening in our brains. Our brain is actually trying to conserve calories. And what we think is, oh, this person is giving me bad ideas or is being mean to me or whatever Doesn't it is. understand me. Doesn't understand me. Is attacking me. Is attacking me, yeah. Telling me I'm wrong. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes sense. I have this experience. Yeah. yeah. Another problem in modern society of us not understanding how our brains work is that there are engineers at Dorito and Facebook. And Dorito engineers? I would like to meet a Dorito <laughs> Right? It's not a food. It's an engineered product. It is. <laughs> It's true. These people understand very well, and they're getting better all the time, how our minds work. Mm-hmm. They use these deep neurological frameworks to their advantage, not to our advantage. I, I knew a girl one time who was a line engineer at Disney. That's right. Like she engineered the lines at Disneyland so that you would have a good experience waiting for two hours to go down a roller coaster that takes one minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people did. And in that case, one might say that the engineer is, is understanding how our mind works and using it for good, or they might say it's using it for ill because they're making us stand in line, which we wouldn't normally want to they do. They play these other tricks like, hey, you could pay extra and not be in the line. Yeah, exactly. And because we don't understand what's happening, we are fooled by these, these engineers. And so that's another aspect of, of how this misunderstanding can affect our happiness, our fulfillment, our... Yeah, are flourishing. You know, an aspect of that might be interesting to talk about is that you and I have recently read a book called Story Brand mm-hmm. by Donald Miller. And Story Brand makes the case that people receive information as, as stories. Mm-hmm. And so if we, the person wanting to convey information, just go ahead and present it as a story, then we save the listener a lot of work. Yes. They don't have to construct, they don't have to spread all the pieces out and then construct a story around them. Instead, a story is, is presented in a ready-made way. Right. Would that be an interesting thing to talk about? Story has become very popular in the last decade. We think that if you give people enough data about what's happening with the COVID virus, they will respond in a rational way. And False. actually what needs to happen is you need to give them stories. You need to tell them, you need to tell them about what's going on with people around them. The evolutionary psychologists say 
that we learn through story because it helps us prepare for the unexpected. And humans don't like the unexpected, and so we are wired to listen to the stories of others so that it will help us to survive. Uh, the the idea of a story might be thought of as the opposite of a bias. We were talking about cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, the story might be thought of as like a the opposite of a bias, like a cognitive pathway. We have a long list of cognitive biases, but story might be on the list of um, ways that your brain does work. Yes, and I will say it works, but if we don't understand that's what's happening, why it works? Why do I cry when I watch that Google ad? It's a Google ad, people. I cry when I watch it. It's a woman whose grandfather tells her a story. They're in India, and he's from Pakistan. I cry when I watch this ad. It's fantastic. It's two old friends coming together after not seeing each other for many years. For decades, yeah. And I cry. I'm not sure that is not misunderstanding how my brain works, especially before I knew about story. Google's story engineers are tweaking with my brain. You know you know who's really tweaking with my brain? Dave Filoni. And if you don't know who that is, that's fine. He's the primary writer for Star Wars right now. That guy <laughs> has put worms into my brain (laughs) with baby Yoda and his compatriots. Yeah. One particular worm by the name of baby Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you don't understand that's what's happening, if you're the kind of person who goes on Tumblr and searches the hashtag baby Yoda, it's actually, we all might do it's, it's Grogu now. He has a name. So anyway, you, you read people in there saying I'm hyper fixating on star Wars again. This is a common post that is made in Tumblr. And I'm doing it too, but at least I know. I know why I'm doing it and I know how to get out of it. And these people don't know how to get out of it because they don't know how their minds work. All they know is they're hyperfixating. That's an interesting point. That's that's why people might find themselves watching more TV than, huh. than they might want to be. Yeah. Or or spending more time on social media. Yeah. Reading, oh, absolutely. Social media is reading huge. More from various news sources. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because they don't understand how their minds work. And they don't understand how things like infinite scroll turns you into a zombie and how to circumnavigate those things. Yeah. I found myself in those traps from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes more than others. It comes and goes. I found that by constructing stories, telling myself our hero wakes up, (laughs) he rises from the bed. Before or after checking his phone? Off to a healthy breakfast. Okay, I see. Uh-huh. Yeah, sometimes the checking of the phone. And the checking of the phone can be an obstacle because it, it has some magnetism. It has some, a lot of magnetism. It's a little, it's a black hole. It yeah. wants to pull you right in. But I found that if I keep running, if I keep telling a story, if I keep my velocity up, mm-hmm. that I can ping off of it. Sure. And not, not get bogged down. Yeah. And, and I've been learning a little more about telling stories. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hopeful that technique will get a little more effective. Yeah. Um, Talking about stories, like any tool can be used for good or ill. I could tell the story of being a disabled veteran. What if the story I told myself is I'm a 70% disabled veteran? That's a very different story. And it leads to very different outcomes than, oh, I get up in the morning and I do yoga. And then I go do my pull-ups. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so stories can also be, they can be helpful if they're used for good, but they can also be, yeah. I'm a person who's depressed. I'm a person yeah. with a bad childhood. And 
I'm not saying that people don't deserve to have depression or a bad childhood or to be 70% disabled, but we can tell ourselves stories in ways that are not skillful. That can be a tool. Yeah, absolutely. It can be a tool. It can be parallel to habit. Yeah. A habit can be eating good foods or eating bad foods. Mm-hmm. It can be doing exercise or not doing exercise. Yeah. It can be, what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Is it checking your phone? As it might be for some of us. <laughs> Then you or can, is it going back to sleep? Is it going back to sleep? Yeah, it feels good. <laughs> it's my favorite one. Yeah, it's good. It's good to have it. Yeah, but, but the point we were making is that it's a way that our mind works, yeah. which is not obvious to us from the inside. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so just knowing like we can tell stories to ourselves for good or ill and being careful about which ones. So this first part of dependent origination is, hey, there's a background of misunderstanding how our brains work. Fine. And it's a powerful thing. And it's incredibly powerful because like you said, it doesn't feel like I don't know how my, I look over there and there's a chair. Seems like it's working fine. It's working fine. There's an amazing book, Who's in Charge, where they look at studies that were done on split brain patients, where they cut the corpus callosum between the two brain hemispheres. And I, I can't go into it here, but it's an incredible book and you need to go get the audiobook version and read it and stop listening to all podcasts immediately and go get this book. But people's consciousness seemed to be in one hemisphere and wasn't communicating with the other hemisphere. So the body would do a thing and then the conscious mind couldn't explain what it was, but it would make up a story about why it was doing that because it had a sense of being whole. It had a sense of understanding and being rational. Yeah. Brains are really interesting. So quit your job and study cognitive science and It'll be really fascinating. I promise. Just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) It's way more fun to learn about it from me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. How's this landing so far? Good. Okay. I I feel like I, I understand it. Awesome. Should we move on to the second part? Let's do it. Okay. So the second part of dependent origination is a poly word. (laughs) Sankara. Okay often pronounced Sankara. This one, the standard translation, she grits her teeth, is volitional formations. Oh man, I have no idea what that means. Yeah, and me neither. When I first learned about this term, actually I had, I had forgotten about this talk by Peacock because he actually gives a better explanation, but I was like, volitional formation, what's that? So I read a bunch of texts and tried to read through the Nikayas hoping that I would understand it from context and it never happened. I never understood what a volitional formation was. Is it the formation of my volition? Yeah, I don't know. So in this talk, and I've also heard other teachers since then say this, he says it can be translated as habit. Seems okay. much more comprehensible to me because I know what a habit is. Yeah. Actually, I will say, I used to think I knew what habits were <laughs> until I started. Found out that your brain didn't work the way that you thought right? it would. Until yeah, exactly. So she's very excited right now. Yeah, she's containing it. I think it might be helpful to say that my current understanding of neurological and behavioral aspects of habit are informed by Dr. Judson Brewer work by Dr. B.J. Fogg on Tiny Habits and the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duick. So that's where I'm coming from today, right now. I used to think about habits as something I could track. Did I write in my journal? Did I work out? Did I curse? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, as a thing that was trackable. You see a check mark on the calendar. Yeah, exactly. That's how you know you're doing your habits. But as I learn more about brain function, 
I'm beginning to see that habits are a, I learned this word recently, substratal, like they are part of the, of the substrata of how we function as humans. Tell me a little more about that. Yeah. First, this is paraphrasing Alan Watts. The self I believed myself to be is nothing but a pattern of habits. The self I believed myself to be is nothing but a pattern of habits. Maybe the way to describe it is that I used to think that habits were these, these trackable items, but now I'm understanding habits as being of three parts. So they're not just check marks on a calendar. They're not just check marks on a calendar. There are there is the check mark on a calendar aspect, but there's also a behavioral, a personality behavioral aspect hmm. of habits. How does that work? Did you experience, maybe it's just me, did you experience growing up, going away to college, away from home, growing into the person that you are in college, and then like going home and finding yourself reverting to behaviors of a 16-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but that was horrifying to me. I was like, who is this person? This, I, who is this? Those are habits. We are responding to stimuli, to the way we're being treated by our parents, to being in, a, in our old bedroom, whatever. The smells of the place. The smells of the place. We have all these reinforcing triggers that become our personality. We respond to the world in a particular way, but that's really a, a habit. If a habit is an automatic response to the world, that is a habit. Well, that's interesting. I've experienced this going home to my parents' house and, and not liking that experience. Yeah. Uh, recently they've been talking about moving to a new house. I wonder if that will help. <laughs> <laughs> my, my old room won't be there. Yeah. It'll be in a different neighborhood. That's interesting. Yeah. Personality traits are a sort of habit from a psychoanalyst point of view. You might say, okay, this person was raised in a family where maybe there was an abusive situation and what they learned was to be very quiet and to keep their head down. And that was very safe. And that that's what kept them alive as a young person. Mm -hmm. And so it was the right thing to do, but then they developed that into a habit and now they're an adult and they continue these behaviors. Even when they get into a loving relationship with someone, they might shut down in ways that are no longer really functional or skillful because they've developed this personality or behavioral response that is a habit from a legitimate survival habit from their their early developmental days. In our relationship, there are times that something will happen and I will respond in a way that is not actually applicable to the situation at hand. A common parlance is I've got, you know, baggage, right? Sure. And I get triggered. And so I play out a particular behavioral pattern that actually doesn't have anything to do with the situation at hand. Um, That's a habit. That's yeah. And it's and then, and then initiated. Yeah. And that is a personality trait in, in a lot of ways. People who respond habitually with anger are considered angry people. And so not only are habits things that we check off on the wall, but habits are personality to some extent. That's interesting. We are a collection of habits. Mm-hmm. And then, so there's these two types of habits that I was able to parse out. There's, One more time real quick. The two, yeah. the two types of habits are? The things you check off. Yep. And then personality. Okay. Thank you. Uh, sort of default personality. We all have the ability to transcend that and to be skillful in the moment, but we right, have default. What you might say. Yeah, we have default patterns we fall back on. When I teach MBSR classes, I'll, I'll often say this term, fight, flight, or freeze. We typically have a default. I, for example, default to fight. There are other people who default to freeze. And so we have these default patterns in our nature. So and there's the third one. The third habit is, here's a scenario. 
You are going to the doctor's office. You get in your car, you back out of the driveway, you start driving, and you wake up and you're three quarters of the way to work. <laughs> I've had this experience. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm in the car, it's the morning time of day. I know where to drive. I yeah. think about this. How right? we go? So this one, it's not quite a checkbox on the wall and it's not a personality trait, but it's almost these scripts that we have. Dewig in The Power of Habit, he talks about this and how the basal ganglia memorizes patterns of behavior that can be quite complex. Like driving to work is very complex. Sure. And it has, it involves reacting to other traffic and such. It's not just like your morning routine and the the food and the coffee and so on are all in the same places each day. Yeah. So we execute these scripts and the way that this functions in the brain is the, the brain turns on and it's like execute a script. And then the brain turns off and starts and the body and, and parts of the brain are still functioning, but the lower levels start to execute scripts so that we can be listening to a podcast or talking to our friend or being mad at somebody and thinking about how we're going to get them on our way to work, even though we're supposed to be going to the doctor's office. <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point, the brain checks back in, like, how are we doing on the script? Usually when the script is completed, we check it. And then we realize like, oh no, I'm at the office and I was supposed to go to the doctor. <laughs> I, or, or maybe we detect some big enough difference between... right the thing we wanted to do and the thing we are now doing and it trips some kind of, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So the brain is actually, again, it's about conservation of energy. Mm-hmm. It's about not having to think about this stuff. Sure. And these patterns are ubiquitous throughout our day. Mm. I had this one, the wrong pants story, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. here we go. <laughs> so I'm on the phone and I'm cold. And so the thing I told my brain was, Hey brain, I would like to put on some warm pants, go put on the pants but I'm on the phone. So you handle it. (laughs) So I'm on the phone. I walk into the bedroom. I get the pants. I put pants on. I walk back to my studio and I realize these are not the warm pants. (laughs) I just taken a pair of pants and put them on over my other pants. Some other pair of pants. (laughs) I'd put on the wrong pants. (laughs) So I had to come back and take those pants off and put the other pants on. But what had happened was my brain was like, go put on pants. And my, and I was like, okay. And off I went, I put, and I was awake. I was alert. I was talking on the phone. Had the whole thing going on, but my brain executed a script. It was just the wrong script. And there was that sense of like, it kicked back on when I got back to the studio. Like, did we finish the script? And we checked back and like, no, we did it wrong. (laughs) And I'm starting to see these all the time now that I know to look for them. Mm -hmm. Taking a shower the other day and the tub was draining a little slowly. So there was a little bit of water in the bottom of the tub and I was drying off with my towel and I was drying off one leg. And like, I couldn't stop myself from drying the entire leg, although it required me putting my towel in the water. My hands just dried my leg. And I was like, but there's water. And like, it went in the water. I was like, nope, ah. We're going in. And then I was like, okay, well, I've dried that. Like now I have to dry the other leg. And I watched the script was like, you're drying off. You always dry off to your ankles. Then you step out of the shower and you dry your feet. So we have to dry off the whole body. And there was this urge to dry off my other leg, even though I knew my towel was going to get wet if I did it. It was this very clanky. Yeah. So there are these scripts that are constantly running. We're operating with this threefold habit of these scripts that we don't know we're executing. These personality traits that are a lot of times just automatic reactions. We're not responding with wisdom. We're just reacting automatically. And maybe if we're lucky, we've got a couple of other things we can check off on the calendar that we actually did a thing today. Did my chores. Did my chores. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wide, a wide swath of different kinds of habits. Yeah. And there might be more. These are the three that I was able to come up with as I was working on this 
episode preparation. The thing that kind of freaked me out was I was like, Lynn, who am I? What what part of that is me? Yeah. What, what part, which right. Buddhism would say, ha ha, we (laughs) gotcha. Now you see, but it was really, there was a moment during preparation for this podcast where there was some real, like coming to go to my moments, you know, of like, well then what should I do? If this is all just a habit, what, what do I do? Do I just execute the habits? Do I not execute the habits? What do we we fight them? Do we go along with them? Because if I'm not, if I don't do them, then do I just lay in bed? Because that is nice. That is one of my habits. That's also a habit. (laughs) So we've got these three different types of habits. How is this, how is this landing for you? What do you hear? I identify these kind of habits in, in my life. Yeah. Certainly the check a box kind of habits, mm-hmm. certainly the script kind of habits. And that's a good, um, that's a good term. Okay. I didn't have a term for that previously. I would call it autopilot sometimes, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're yeah, driving, especially yeah. was a time mm-hmm. that I noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, never... I've not had a pants experience like yours <laughs> just yet. Uh, and I haven't noticed it too much while I'm cycling and the, the personality trait one is interesting to think about a habit I had I had recognized that I do have personality some personality <laughs> you do listeners may not suspect from what they hear on on this podcast but it's there and I hadn't thought about it as a habit but that's an interesting idea mm-hmm. and I think informative okay okay I guess the next thing I wanted to ask as we're closing up the podcast is what I'm offering you are two parts of a Buddhist doctrine. And according to this doctrine, or according to Peacock's interpretation of this doctrine, these two are the backdrop on which human experience plays itself out. How does that sound for you? Does that- I'm going to say a thing that I didn't think I would ever say. (laughs) Oh no. And and here it is. I'm going to steal myself over here. I, I feel like those two items are are a pretty good list on their own. And I, and I know that by saying that (laughs) I'm inviting another list to be created. And that's, that's uh, at at the one hand, I I do think that this is a substantive conversation we had around just these little nuggets yeah, and useful on their own. Yes. But at the same time, I I am feeling as though there are plenty of lists (laughs) that I'm aware, you know, just as a beginner scholar, here, not, not a scholar, as a foil on this podcast. I'm aware of more lists than I might like to be. Yeah. So what's interesting, maybe it's interesting, it might be interesting to our listeners, if not to you, Jeff, is that when you look at dependent origination, as it comes down to us through these texts, there's one particular sutta called the Great Sutta on Dependent Origination, and it only has 10 parts, not 12. And these first two parts are not in that list. Man. So, so they're kind of already their own list. They're already their own thing. What Peacock suggests is there were a bunch of different lists or concepts that were talked about. And then scholars were like, hey, let's put them all together. Okay. So they these were, were kind not- of merged in from somewhere else to begin yeah. with. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, I guess the thing I would like to know, though, I'm going to come back around. I'm going to ask you again and all put right. you back all on right. point, which is, Dean, Give does this chance. feel like, does this feel helpful in your life? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah, certainly uh, just generally, I think it's helpful to have language to describe a thing that's happening in your life mm. that, you, that you may not have had language before, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a blessing and a curse because now you can see it more yeah, like whether you want to or thing. not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, generally, I, I do think that's useful because then you can work with it a little bit. Yeah. 
have have a way to talk about it and point to it and say, this is a thing that's happening. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. That's all I've got for today. That's a good, that's enough. That's plenty. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Thanks once again for being my co-host. You are a, you're a great podcast companion. Thank you. I'm very grateful to you. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. It's a pleasure to come here and learn, learn something I never suspected. That's useful. Great. Thanks for listening. Listeners, you can reach out to us through the usual ways, dharmaphd.com or hello at dharmaphd.com. Yeah, great. That's the outro. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. I feel like I need to say something else. I'll say that again. Oh, what, but what kind of thing would you like to say? I don't know. I feel like people have really long outros and that I should have one also. Oh, do you want to play some music maybe? I think it's really about having a distinct voice of your podcast. <laughs> and, and this is a thing that would add to that. Yeah. People get a sense of your personality. That's why they're here. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. May you be well. Outtakes. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm feeling loose as a goose and okay. um, spruce as a moose. <laughs> wow. I don't know what that means. How are you feeling? Hey, Shannon, are you enjoying the sound of the bells being played by the church next door? It's really nice. It's really nice. I kind of wish they'd wait till the podcast was over. Maybe they're not subscribers. I kind of wish they'd subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not sure that Buddhist scholars pared anything down. They didn't have conservation of bullets in mind. Yeah. When I read commentaries of Buddhist literature, the thing that stands out to me is not... Economy of lists. Conservation of words. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.